Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This podcast connects people affected by a blood cancer to resources that inform, support, educate, and empower. When it comes to cancer, it's hard to navigate the unknown and there are no easy answers. We're here to bring you the information you need to help make sense of every step of the blood cancer experience. My name is Charlotte Hall Coates, and I'm the Community Services Manager for the Atlantic Region. Today on the show, I'm talking to Elizabeth Corkum, whose husband, Andy, was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, or AML. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hello. So to get us started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience as a caregiver to someone diagnosed with a blood cancer? I'm Elizabeth. As you said, I work, I've worked in the nonprofit sector for most of my career. I'm also a mother of three um, sons. And when Andy was diagnosed with AML in 1998, all of those, all my kids were under seven years old. So it was a, it was a very fast um, event. Um, looking back, some of it is a bit of a blur, but I do remember the shock of getting the blood cancer diagnosis and parenting a young family was uh, pretty challenging. Yeah, absolutely. So you did mention, you know, having three young sons all under the age of seven. Um, obviously, that's a really big challenge to a to someone who's also taking care of a husband with, um, you know, a newly diagnosed blood cancer. What other challenges did either you, um, as an individual or as a family, face during those, you know, initial days? Right. the The initial days of the the cancer diagnosis were pretty uncertain because Andy wasn't sick <laughs> um, by any stretch of the imagination. He had a bit of a cough, but he wasn't physically sick. He looked healthy. Um, there was really n- no reason for him to go to the doctor other than he went to the doctor to get his cholesterol checked because it ran in his family and he took a first aid and CPR course and learned that was a uh, a risk factor for for heart disease. So he went to get his cholesterol checked, and in that check, they found out that his blood was going a little wonky, and thought that at first that he may have had mono. So was, the doctor called back and said, um, "We're going to get you rechecked. You might might have mono." And he did another um, blood test, and then that came back with um, abnormalities that led to him getting referred to a hematologist. So it really wasn't something that we had any lead up to. It was a real big shock because the the doctor's appointments happened pretty quick. And then um, hematology was the next day, called us in and said, we need to do a bone marrow test because you might have uh, leukemia, which we really hadn't heard the word that much. So we really didn't know what that meant. Um, so we were like pretty much going in blindly and had no idea what we were in for. Um, that test came back the next day and the doctor was ready to admit him immediately. So again, it was a, it was a big shock and we didn't really have time to prepare. So I guess those, some, sometimes I look back and I think that was probably a good thing because if I had time, you can never be prepared for that, um, in your family, but. I didn't have time to think. It was just, what do we have to do? Let's do it and see what's gonna, what each day, like 
what the next day is going to bring. We had no idea. So it was a lot of unknown time. Um, and then also a lot of change in responsibilities because not only did he have to go to the hospital and I went with him, um, we had to figure out who's going to look after our, our kids. So that was a, that was a huge shift in, uh, in our daily routine for sure. And so how did you find that sort of balance between your responsibilities as a mom and now as, as a caregiver? Um, there was, <laughs> it's hard because there's really no way to balance those two things. Um, and I was the one who was healthy and had the access to the resources to, to call relatives and to make arrangements with schools and figure out how we were going to both. He had to be in the hospital full time, of course, and I was in there with him for most of the time and then make sure our kids were okay and with may have been an advantage that they were all young because they really didn't understand what was going on and just their resilience at that age was pretty incredible and they liked seeing their relatives all the time and couldn't really understand what was going on so yeah for sure yeah um, definitely so we talked a little bit about the challenges, obviously, sort of juggling um, this new role as caregiver and, and all these, you know, probably additional medical appointments, Andy being in the hospital. Um, were there any sort of positive experiences that you remember from, from that time? Uh, the support we got from the hospital staff, the nurses, and um, the other people that you suddenly have involved in your your everyday life kind of helped us navigate what to do and how to fill out, for instance, forms, because he went from working one day to not being able to work at all. Um, navigating all of those systems were, were challenging, but uh, with support, we were able to, to figure it out. Um, and then having our, our family step in, we were lucky to have family that lived in the area and they were able to, to work out a, a schedule of, of caregiving for our, our kids so and friends also lent their support for driving our kids to to their activities yeah that's great it's it's so important to have that that network to help support um, even if you're the primary caregiver so that's great um, so you mentioned having the hospital staff as a useful resource for like filling out forms. I'm sure there were some like insurance forms as Andy wasn't able to work anymore. Um, were there any other useful resources that you found like really helpful during that time? Right, as I remember, there wasn't a lot available um, because it was quite a long time ago. So other than like the focus was on keeping <laughs> Andy alive, and attending to all his health needs and blood transfusions and all of the medications and chemotherapy that there wasn't a lot available um, for support for our family. Um, I understand now there's a, a lot more as far as resources and information um, so people aren't navigating those systems alone and they're able to talk to other people about their experiences but no there wasn't much available at all so I'm I'm happy to hear that there's people's experiences are, are more positive now. So when you think about your experience with Andy in the hospital and going through treatment, um, what would you say is like one of the biggest things that you learned from your experience? The thing I learned about my experiences is that to take care of someone else, uh, you have to take care of yourself first because you're not going to be capable or effective or like if your cup's empty, 
and it's hard to give the per your loved one what they need um, and they rely on you for a lot of things like emotional support physical support mental health support and um, if if you're in a romantic relationship that's a whole nother um, factor so taking care of yourself um, I think is vital I made sure I exercised ate well took breaks um, and talked to my friends about some of the things that were going on that's the biggest thing I learned is um, you you need to take care of yourself yeah absolutely I think that's always important for caregivers to um to make sure to remember that you you need to kind of take care of yourself if in order to be you know a good caregiver for others um so to kind of wrap us up um do you have any any advice that you'd you know want to share to others who may find themselves um, supporting someone with a blood cancer my advice is if people are offering um to do things for you to say yes <laughs> uh, and some sometimes people don't know what they can offer, what they can do. So don't be shy to ask them and give them specific tasks that they can help with. And, and don't think that you're burdening them with um, things that they don't want to help with. They just might, might not think of things or know how to help. So just learning how to say yes <laughs> and asking for help is the biggest one. For sure, absolutely, and and I like the the tip of um, having you know specific uh, tasks, not just uh, you know being general, but actually saying you know, can you help with this or can you help with that? Yeah, that's very helpful. Like I need I need something for supper. Can would you mind making something and dropping it off? Mm -hmm. Or one of my kids needs to drive to go somewhere. Would you mind helping out? Um, and then people are very thankful that they're contributing. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to speaking with us today, Elizabeth. Um, if listeners have any questions about caregiving for someone with a blood cancer, or if they need support navigating their experience, I encourage you to connect with the community services manager in your region. You can visit bloodcancers.ca to connect with us. Until next time, stay well. This podcast was made possible thanks to the support of Pfizer. Thank you for listening to the Blood Cancer Experience podcast series by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. If you have an idea for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your comments or suggestions to canadainfo at lls.org. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada is dedicated to funding cutting-edge research and supporting people affected by blood cancers. To learn more and access resources including fact sheets, booklets, and webcasts, visit llscanada.org.